make that difference. So I'm going to go with you uh, to Philippians, if you turn with me to the book of Philippians. And we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 11 through 20. And uh, we have been talking about Philippians, the way to joy. And I'm going to ask you all to stand with me for the reading of God's word. The word here says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed as the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to the earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, uh, whether by life or by death. And Heavenly Father, we pray this morning, Lord God, that you would just open up our hearts. Lord, in a time truly uh, of grief and despair and sorrow, Lord God, we are still filled with the joy of the Lord. And Lord God, that is a wonderful thing. And Father God, I pray that you would just manifest your presence to us today through your spirit and that the joy of Jesus would be in all of our hearts, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we see going on in this world. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever heard uh, the term frame of mind? What is your frame of mind this morning? What is your frame of mind? And frame of mind is a term used for the psychological and emotional state that we are in, in any given moment. It's what we're thinking, what we're feeling. Could be that you're up, could be that you're down, it could be that you're happy, it could be that you're sad. The frame of mind can be affected by multiple things. It, it, it can be affected by your sleep or your lack of sleep, to be, to be true. It could be affected by the food you eat. Some people, right, you, you, you know, eat sugar, too much sugar, man, and I'll tell you, it just doesn't do well for me. And uh, it could be from the weather. The weather can affect our frame of mind. The, uh, the moon. <laughs> Science shows the moon can affect our, our frame of mind. Circumstances in our own personal lives and in the world can affect our, our frame of mind. Now, when it comes to most people... They allow their frame of mind to affect their relationship with God. They allow their frame of mind to determine their worship. Or whether they're going to worship or whether they're not going to worship. Whether they're going to pray or whether they're not going to pray. They allowed their frame of mind, their moods, to determine whether they will serve God and obey God or not. 
There, there are people not here this morning because they awoke this morning in a very poor frame of mind and they are allowing that frame of mind to keep them from coming and worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now there's a hymn that we sing here on Christ the solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I said, I want to show you this one stanza. It says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Do you ever stop and think as you're singing the songs that we sing? Do you ever stop and think about them? God, God despises lip service. You know, people who just, they, they lip service to God while their hearts are far away from God. They lip service to God while they have no intention of truly honoring and obeying God. But sometimes I think we come into the, the church and we sing songs. We don't even know what we're singing. We're just going through the motions. It's, it's just, it's, it's dead religious routine. But in this, in this stanza, what the writer, the author of this uh, hymn, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What he's saying is, I do not trust my emotional state. I, I, I do not trust whether I am up or whether I am down, whether I am happy or whether I am sad, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. What he's saying is, I am not mastered by my feelings. I am not mastered by my emotions. They're up, they're down, right? They're affected by all these multiple things. What he is saying here is that Jesus, right, transcends my emotions. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord transcends what is going on in my frame of mind. So in this past week, my frame of mind has not been very good on an emotional level. I haven't been in a place of great happiness because there are some things that I'm looking at, some happenings that make me very sad and make me very angry. When I look and see terrorists murder babies in their cribs. They murder women, children, and they hold them away and they rape the women. They hold little children as, as hostages. These craziness. When I, when I look at our college campuses and protest throughout the world, Understand what these people are. Let's call the people what they are. These are anti-Semitic people who hate the Jews. These are Nazis. Nazis. You know, my father, he joined the military at 17 years old to go and kill Nazis because they were slaughtering Jewish people in the Holocaust. But these people who are out there protesting, that doesn't bother you as a Christian do you have the Spirit of God in you? Because I believe the Spirit of God is grieving right now in the hearts of true believers all throughout the world. So my frame of mind has not been very good. But I still in the midst of everything going on. It hasn't kept me from worship. In fact, yesterday my wife and I, we worshipped in a Jewish synagogue for three hours. We didn't understand much of what was being said. I understand some Hebrew. They talk so fast. They sing so fast. My brain couldn't. I pick up this word and that word. Adonai and El Shaddai. But we worshipped. We got up this morning. And we worshipped. And we prayed. 
And we got into the Word. And we serve God. So the frame of mind does not determine our relationship with God. Our frame of mind does not determine our obedience to Jesus Christ. Our frame of mind does not determine our service to the Lord. So when we talk from the book of Philippians, this is exactly what the theme in Philippians is all about. This is exactly what the purpose of Philippians was written for. It's the very, it's the very purpose of the book. Where was Paul when he wrote Philippians? He was in prison with the shadow of a Roman soldier over him 24-7. Yet Paul wrote this book of joy. This book of joy. This, this joy of the Lord that no matter what is going on in your life you can have. No matter what is happening in your life you can have the joy of the Lord in your heart. And though I have not been in the greatest frame of mind, I have had the joy of the Lord. Every day, the joy of the Lord. That comes from this little book called Philippians, right? Here it is. The joy of the Lord transcends happenings. There is the theme and the purpose of the book of Philippians. The joy, the joy of the Lord transcends happenings. Learn this great truth. Memorize it. Believe it. Embrace it. Absorb it. Digest it. And assimilate it in your life. Because it will make a significant difference. Because you will notice that 95% of the people around you are on a roller coaster ride of emotion day in and day out. They're happy and then they're sad. They're happy and then they're sad. And they have no consistent joy in their hearts. That is the theme. So let's dig into it today. First thing. The joy of the fruits of righteousness. Verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to stop and think of fruit. Fruit is God's dessert. <laughs> Before they began processing foods, fruit is the very dessert of God. You ever taste a fig? How sweet it can be? It's like candy. How many of you like watermelon? Or peaches? Or plums? Or strawberries? Or oranges? Or lemons? Or pineapples? Or apples. My wife made a delicious apple pie that is sitting at home with my name on it. <laughs> I claim it in the name of Yeshua. How many of you like blueberries? How about blueberry pancakes? I make three blueberry pancakes a couple times a week and I put the whole bucket of blueberries in it. It is blueberries galore. Fruit is again the very dessert of God. The Holy Spirit does here, he is comparing, making what we call a typology of the fruits that we eat that grow on trees and grow on vines as compared to the fruit of the Spirit. 
the fruit of virtue, the fruit here of righteousness that flows from Jesus into us and out of us. So most of the time when we think of fruit, right here is the fruit of righteousness, we think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. But here, but here the Spirit uses the term the fruits of righteousness. This is the, the fruit of a person who is filled with the righteousness of the Lord and that righteousness is growing outwardly out of their heart. A truly righteous person will display certain righteous actions and attitudes that confirm the true righteousness that the Lord has placed in their heart. They have honesty, integrity, truth, strength, courage that, that flows from their, their words, that flows from their actions. A person who is, who is filled with the fruits of righteousness, let me just say, make this very relevant to the moment that we're in. This is very, let me tell you, very critical moment in history, folks. Read Psalm 83. Read Psalm. Or read Ezekiel 38-39. Get ready, for the Lord is coming. Keep saying, you keep, we have COVID. And they see the spaceships or whatever, whatever is buzzing around our our. By the way, I don't believe they're little green men from another universe. The spiritual realm is breaking in. And hurricanes and tornadoes and storms and earthquakes. All the things Jesus said would be happening right in those last days. And now we see this war stirring in the Middle East. At the very current moment that we're in, it is a time for us to be filled and overflowing with fruits of righteousness, to, to take a stand. A fruit of righteousness is seen in a person who takes a stand. They take a stand for what is right. They take a stand for Jesus. They take a stand for truth. They take a stand for righteousness. Righteousness, not what the world calls righteous. Because what the world calls righteous is what God calls unrighteous. And what we say from the word of God is unrighteous, the world says is righteous. The world calls evil good and good evil. If you haven't noticed that, all you need to do is turn on one of the meteor outlets and you will see that. The world says abortion is a woman's right. The word of God calls it murder. The world says shoplifting is right. It's right for a person who is supposedly uh, marginalized to have the right to go out and steal. God calls it stealing. The world calls homosexuality, right, an alternative lifestyle and says it's right. God calls it an abomination. The world right now on college campuses and in most of the media outlets calls terrorists freedom fighters. The Bible calls them murderers. So it's not the righteousness of the world, it's, it's the righteousness of the very word of God. The fruits of righteousness drive us to take a stand, to stand up 
for Jesus to stand against evil, just as you see in the Scriptures what Elijah did, and Elisha did, and Jeremiah did, and Deborah did, and Paul did, and Stephen did. And through history, you've heard me talk about Wilberforce, or the Wesleys, or Joan of Arc, or Corrie ten Boone, or Anne Frank, or Dr. Dobson, or Tony Perkins. I'm, I'm involved in a, in a ministry of, of Christian leaders here in New Jersey. And we are bringing General Jerry Boykin in March. And he will be at the Liquid Church a few miles from here, 10, 15 miles from here. And it will be a men's meeting. And Dr. Uh, Jerry Boykin, Jerry Boykin is a leader uh, in the focus on the family ministry. He was the, the head of Delta Force for 13 years. Delta Force is the equivalent of the Navy SEALs that the Army has. If you ever watched the movie Black Hawk Down, it was Jerry Boykin who led the soldiers to free our soldiers who were basically under fire in Mogadishu. But Jerry Beyer will be, I'm sorry, Jerry Boykin will be speaking and he will be the keynote speaker at this event of men. I just want to say this, men, it's in March. I don't even have a date yet. It's going to cost you 45 bucks. It's all day Saturday. We have five other speakers who are coming in from around the country who specialize and lead men's ministries. It'll be a, a message for men about taking a stand, about being a man of God, about being a faithful man of God. I'll tell you, let me just say, men, I'm talking to you right now. You need to be there. I don't usually take names. I'm taking names. Every man in this church needs to be there. Save your money. And ladies, maybe your man, maybe money's a little tight. Give it to him as a gift for Christmas. But as soon, as soon as we know, again, and have the tickets available, you will know and immediately go to the website because there's only about 800 seats. And it involves churches throughout northern New Jersey. So it's going to fill up immediately. But I want the men in this church, I want the men in the church to be there that Saturday to listen to General Boykin and the other speakers who are going to be speaking to us. Because I truly believe it will be a life-transforming event for the men who are there and for our entire church and for the entire northern New Jersey. But it's about men taking a stand. Men taking a stand. The fruits of righteousness will drive us to take a stand for God. The fruits of righteousness will drive us to speak out. To use our voice to speak out for righteousness, to speak out for Jesus, to speak out against evil, to speak out against sin, to speak out against the evils of our world. You know, I've, I, and, and I've, spoken out, I've spoken out to the business community that I'm involved in. I speak out to the church. I speak out to people. What these people... Are are Nazis. Simply they are Nazis. The second, the second principle of Hamas is to destroy the Jews. And if you're sitting there and saying, I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile, I'm okay. Listen, after they kill the Jews, they're coming for you if you're a Christian. Because they've slaughtered Christians all through the centuries. That militant, militant, not all Muslims, that militant aspect. Hamas. Hezbollah, Boko Haram, 
Iran. They hate the Jews and they hate Christians. They're, they're, they're Nazis. You ever hear of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Germany. And as the Holocaust began in the 1930s, he began to write and he began to speak out against the Holocaust while the rest of the Lutheran clergy had their head between their legs, if you know what I mean. And the Roman Catholic Church looked the other way. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this, this, this devout Christian man, he spoke out against national socialism. You see the kids on the campuses embracing socialism? Nation, you know what national socialism? That's Nazism. If you break down the German word for what it means to be a Nazi, it means that you stand for national socialism. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer took a stand. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Every Christian should read this book. Diane, have you read it? Every Christian should read this book. The Cost of Discipleship. Because him speaking out against the Nazis cost him his life. And in 1945, in Flossburg concentration camp, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was put to death. He was hung for speaking out. I'll tell you, he's got a great, 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 great reward in heaven. But a person who is filled with the fruits of righteousness, they will speak out. They will speak out for the Lord, and they will speak against what is evil. A third, the fruits of righteousness, they will fight for what's right. John the Baptist fought for what was right. Jesus fought for what was right. Paul said the words, I have fought the good fight. Did you ever get into a fight? I mean, did you really ever get into a fight? I'm not talking about sports fighting. I did a lot of sports fighting. I'm talking about, you ever get into a fight? I used to bounce in bars, and every once in a while, man, I'd have a melee with somebody. I didn't lose. But I'll tell you something. I was usually bleeding. I was usually bruised. Sometimes I was bitten. And when you get in a fight, you're, you're, you're hurting. But, but to fight the good fight, to fight this fight of righteousness, you're going to get wounded. And I'm not talking for the most part right now physically wounded, but you're going to get wounded. You're going to have people who are going to come against you. You're going to have people who will attack you. Hey, the message I'm speaking to you right now may not be resonating with some of you sitting here because you know what? You're not saved. You don't have the spirit of God within you. And right now I'm irritating the heck out of you. And this will go out on the airwaves and it will irritate and people will attack. And you will take hits, but you keep on fighting. You fight that good fight of righteousness. You know, we have always taken a stand here for life. God is about life. God is the, the very life force of the, of the universe. And he comes to give us life eternal, and he comes to give us life abundant. So we have always taken a stand for life in a death culture that celebrates death. And we've saved. We've saved some lives. 
So there was a woman who came to our church many years ago when our church was one-tenth the size of it is right now. African-American woman. She was pregnant with a child. She didn't have the money to have the child. But the church rallied. Us with Life Advocates. Chris and Barbara Moore, Life Advocates. We rallied to be able to get her into a place where she could live, to be able to support her, to be able to eventually to help her to get work. And she was able to give birth to a little boy. Eventually, she did real well. She moved down, I believe, to the Carolinas. And one day, I'm up in my office, and all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. And this woman steps in with this kind of big, hulking 12, 13-year-old boy. He looked like he was on his way to be a, an offensive lineman in the NFL. And I didn't know who she was, and I didn't know who he was. And she said, you don't remember us, do you? I said, no. She said, this is my son, Corey. And I wanted to come today and thank you and the church because you made it possible for me to bring Corey into the world and to provide for him. Now, I don't know if some of you remember Corey because they were here then for a while. And Corey would did Christian rap and I'd have him come in front of the church. And he did good Christian rap. He was good. Took him to a, to a ball game, and uh, this was with the uh, New Jersey uh, baseball team down in Newark. I forget the name. I don't even know if they're there anymore. But uh, the players, every kid that I brought to that uh, game that day, and I think there were probably about nine or ten of them, they all ended up with a baseball. The players made it, you know, that, that, that we were right behind the dugout. They all gave us baseball. Every kid had a baseball, except Corey. And then I was like begging the players, one more ball for, for Corey. I said, you've given him to us all. They said, what can he do? He got up on the dugout and he rapped for the entire stadium. Everybody <laughs> applauded. And they gave him a ball. But we've taken that stand as one of, of many stories. A stand for right. We fought for what is right. I'll give you a little secret. Lean in. I want to give you a secret. Do you know where that fruit of righteousness comes from? It comes from abiding in Jesus. You know the, the, the parable of the vine and the branches in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Seven times the Lord says, abide in me. Abide in me, 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 abide in me. The word, the word is the word meno in the Greek, and it means to remain, to continue, to dwell, to be present. Let me just tell you something. I've seen Christians, like they'll say, or people in the church, well, you know, that's just for like the super Christians. If you are a Christian, you will be abiding in Jesus. If you are not abiding in Jesus, you are not a Christian. I just want to, there's, there's, no, there's no question to that. It's, it's not a question, okay, of I'm a Christian and I am or I'm not. The, the question is, if you are not abiding in Jesus, you are not a true believer. A true believer will always be abiding in Jesus. Now, there's levels of maturity, there's levels of growth with that. But if you are a true Christian, you will be abiding, right? You will be the branch that is connected 
to the vine and his sap, let me just use this as an illustration, the Holy Spirit will be flowing right into you and will be producing an abundance of fruit. And that fruit will flow out. It'll flow out in you taking a stand. It'll flow out in your words. And it'll flow out with you having a spirit to fight the good fight. And I'll tell you, that is a joyful thing. You know what? Because when, when you are filled and overflowing with the fruits of righteousness, you stand, though you may be a little person, and I'm not talking about your height. I don't think of myself as a, as a big world influence. I'm the pastor of Living Word Community Church. I'm, I'm small potatoes in the big picture of things. But I stand with giants. I stand with, with the great giants of scripture. I stand with the king of kings. I stand with the apostle Paul. I, I stand with the apostle Peter. I stand with Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel and David. We stand with giants. And there's joy in that. There's joy in that. Because there's no joy in standing with midgets. Okay, number two. The joy of lemons turned into lemonade. Life serves us lemons at times, right? And God turns lemons into lemonade. God essentially is in the business of turning lemons into lemonade. So you see here in, in verse 12 to 14, Paul's talking here about God doing that very thing in his life. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, him being imprisoned in Rome, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. God used Paul's imprisonment to further the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So again, Paul is in prison, shadowed by a Roman soldier 24-7, but he is saying that God has used this all for good. What does that remind you of? Where's the comparative verse? Right? Romans what? Romans 8.28, right? And we know that God causes, look at that word, eh, right? eh, everything, not some things, not only occasional things. He uses everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Do you love God? Are you called according to his purpose? Then God is going to take the lemons in your life and he will make lemonade from it. You know the story of Joseph? Joseph is a, is a story of hardship. I said if there, was a, if there was a musical instrument that would be played behind the story of Joseph, what, what instrument would it be? It would be a violin. A sad, sad violin. So here is Joseph. His brothers wanted to murder him. Some of them. Others wanted just to get rid of him. 
They were jealous of him. He was, he was Jacob, his father's favorite. Jacob gave him this beautiful coat of many colors. So they sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites, who then took him and sold him into Egypt to Potiphar. And he was a slave. But Joseph, again, Joseph always rose. Joseph always, he always landed on his feet. Land on your feet. When you get blown off the mountain. Land on your feet when you get blown off the mountain. And Joseph landed on his feet. And eventually he became the second in command of Potiphar's house. Command of everything. But then Potiphar's wife, she was a hoochie mama. You can find that in Leviticus 23.14. She was a hoochie mama. And she kept trying to seduce Joseph was this handsome young, right? 17-year-old boy. Sure, he was lean, he was muscular, he was handsome, and she kept, she kept trying to, and he would run away and run away until finally one day she grabbed him, took his coat from him, and then she told her husband, Potiphar, that he had tried to seduce her. I don't think Potiphar fully believed that because he would have had him killed immediately. I think to save face, though, he had to do something with Joseph, so he put Joseph in jail. But you know what Joseph did? Again, he was thrown off the mountain, and he landed on his feet. He always landed on his feet. And eventually he rose up to become the second of command behind the warden of the jail. So there were these two guys, the, right, the baker. It was the, the baker and... Uh, well, they call him the, what, the wine bearer. The, uh, he was the, t the taster, the cup bearer, the taster of the food. He would taste the food of Pharaoh to see if it was poison, and then he would die. What a job. <laughs> How would you like to be the food taster for President Biden, right? Or President Trump, right? It would be. So he interprets their dreams, which has come true just as he said, but they forget him. Right? They forget him. And eventually, Pharaoh has these dreams. And then Joseph is brought before Pharaoh to interpret them. And he interprets the dream. And, and Joseph, very smart, always landing on his feet. And Pharaoh said, what should I do? And Joseph said, you need to appoint somebody who is really smart, who is really wise. Right? He just, he just didn't interpret his entire dream. And Pharaoh said, you're the man. He lands on his feet. He becomes the second in command of the greatest empire in the world of Egypt under Pharaoh. Time passes. Joseph is now 30 years old. It's been 13 years since he's seen his brother, seen his father. And a famine strikes. And eventually Joseph's brothers come before Joseph. They don't know that it's, I mean, he's got, he's, got, he's got the Egyptian hair now. It's 13 years later. He's got the makeup and everything. They don't know it's Joseph. And Joseph reveals himself to his... I just want you to look at that picture because I think that picture says a thousand... Look at their faces. When Joseph looked at them and said, I am Joseph, the one you sold as the one you wanted to kill, the one you sold as a slave, I am Joseph. might have had to get to the bathroom real quick. 
And they were terrified that Joseph would kill them. Joseph said this, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. You go all the way to chapter 50, now Jacob has died. Now the brothers are really terrified. They think, hey, he kept us alive because of Jacob. Now he's going to surely kill us. Look at Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all, it all, it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Lemons into lemonade. That's the business that God is in. And if you love him and you have been called according to his purpose, take joy in that. Take joy. Whatever you're going, whatever trial you're in, whatever difficulty you're experiencing in your life, take joy that God is working in your life to turn your lemons into lemonade. Number three, the joy of advancing the gospel. The joy of the advancing gospel in verse 15 through 18, he says here, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He's saying here, there are people who preach the gospel out of greed, uh, out of selfish ambition. Pastors who, who preach the gospel, they are building their kingdoms. I got caught up in this years ago. It wasn't about you. I just wanted to say this to you. I hope you understand when you come here on a Sunday, this is not about me. And it should not be about anybody up here on this platform. It is not about me. It is about God and it is about you. Just, I, I, hope, I hope you realize that. This isn't, this isn't the Pastor Frank show. I'm not here to put on a show. It is, it is about God and it is about you. It is not about me. It is not about Lenny or about Kim or anybody else on the worship team. Any other, Pastor Chris preached up here last week. It's not about him. It's about God and it's about you. But there are people who, who don't operate that way and they preach and they teach and it's about them. You could see these people, right? You see them in churches. They strut up and down. It's about them and their ministry. You know, I've heard one couple who comes to the church, they said they were in a church where the people in the church were referred to as giving units. Imagine that. That's what you are. Giving units. Not, you're not a person. You're not a, you're not a soul in relationship with Jesus or one coming into a relationship with Jesus. All you are is a giving unit. That's what you're good for. That's, that's the church growth movement. That's something that you hear in the church growth movement. The more giving units you have, right, the, the bigger and more massive the church can become. So uh, Paul is talking about, again, people preaching with the wrong motives. Envy, jealousy. They were envy and jealous of Paul, and they were preaching out of envy and jealousy. Pretense. Notice the word, the word pretense. Pretense is an attempt to make something that is not 
true to appear true. So I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of pretense. All you need to do is turn on, a, what, so you're going to watch football today, some of you? Watch the commercials. Watch the commercials. You'll see lots of pretense. Here's an example of pretense. You ever notice the beer commercials? They're always really good-looking, young, sexy people. That's a, the, the beer commercials. Do you ever see people who drink a lot of beer? Isn't that true? I've never seen somebody who drinks a lot of beer with a six pack. They always have a keg. <laughs> but that's, that's Madison Avenue. That's the media. They trick you. They trick you into thinking if you, if you use this product, that it's, you're going to be beautiful, you're going to be handsome, you're going to be sexy. Well, the gospel can be preached with pretense. You look, at, you look at the health and wealth gospel, which most of your evangelists, so-called evangelists on the, the Christian stations, buy into this. That if you come to Christ, you're going to become healthy and wealthy. That's part of the atonement of Jesus. Not the forgiveness of your sins and salvation and the assurance of eternal life, but that you, you will be healthy and wealthy. By the way, if you go to those churches, it's not hard to see that the people, they really don't appear more healthy than people in the Baptist church down the street. And I'll tell you, the, the cars they drive, all you need to do is look at their cars. Look at the cars they drive. The cars that they drive are no different than the Baptist church down the street. I mean, if you would think that this is truly all the people were getting wealthy, I would think there would be a lot of Lamborghinis Porsches, right, uh, Mercedes-Benz, BMWs in the parking lot, but I see a lot of Chevys and, and uh, you know, a lot of Fords, and some of them late model. They got the Jesus stickers on. These are the late model Christians with the Jesus stickers. They have the Jesus sticker on the bumper. It's holding up the bumper from falling off. But it's, it's, it's all on pretense. But I want to say, see, Paul says, I rejoice that even though the gospel is being preached and maybe with the wrong pretense, maybe with the wrong motives, that still people are getting saved. And people still get saved in these places. We had, we had a man, geez, many years ago, come here and share. He was in the Jehovah Witnesses. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses, they believe, essentially, that Jesus is not God. They do not believe in the Trinity. Okay? So their concept of salvation is really kind of a, a work salvation and yet this man found the true Jesus, and it's a false Jesus, it's another Jesus, as Paul says in his, you know, in, in his uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But they find the true Jesus, amazingly, in a cult. And he came to understand as he began to study the word that the Jesus they were proclaiming was not the true Jesus, that the true Jesus was truly God, the second person of the Trinity, who died on the cross, who was raised from the dead, and that whoever would put their faith in him, turn away from their sin, they will be saved. So again, the gospel, though, preached with the wrong, again, motives, sometimes even incorrectly, with the wrong pretense, right, false pretense, Paul is rejoicing that people are still getting saved. That the gospel is going forth. Think about that. All right, number four. The joy of the spirit of Jesus in you. 
So in verse 19 through 20, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I want you to notice the word, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is called a number of, of different things. He's called and given a number of different titles throughout, throughout the Bible. New Testament, Old Testament. Here he's called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus. What is the Holy Spirit like? This was, this was kind of a, a, a tough one for me because... When I began to go out and preach, I began to go to all kinds of churches, and I went to, I mean, dead churches. I went to a living church. I went to charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches. And at times, what I was being told the Holy Spirit is, sometimes it really scared me. It was a little crazy. I mean, like crazy Christians. I've had people come to the church and come to me and say, the Holy Spirit has told me that God wants you to leave the pastorate and become a Catholic deacon. Another woman came and said, God, the Holy Spirit, has told me that he wants this church to join Roman Catholicism. That's what she said. I've had people tell me all kinds of things that the Holy Spirit has supposedly told them. And they just didn't seem to uh, match up with what I felt the Holy Spirit was calling me to do. So just some crazy, there's some crazy, crazy stuff. I preached in one church where there was a man, and this was probably the, the strangest thing, church in Staten Island on a boiling hot day and there was this guy, he had to weigh about 300 pounds and I mean he was 150 pounds overweight and he was running around the church during worship, just running around the church and he's sweating and he's screaming and he's yelling. And I, I asked one of the deacons, pastor was away, I said, deacons, what is this guy doing? They said, oh, he does it every Sunday. He's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Total distraction. I told him to sit down. I told him to sit down. I said, I can't, pre I can't preach. You're distracting me and you're distracting me. Everybody's, everybody's head's going like this, you know. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit. So I read a book by A.W. Tozer talking about the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. I'll show you, I'll, I'll show you something here. This diagram, just appear, I mean, look, no diagram can, can be able to encompass the majesty of God, the Trinity. But if you'll notice here, just you have, you have the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son, and the Spirit is not the Father. The Spirit is an individual persona, individual person. He, ha he has his own will, right? He, he has his own emotions, and there's, the Spirit has his own intellect. But the Spirit is God. The Father is God, and the Son is God. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, who should you look at? Well, the, 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 essentially, you look at the Father, you look at the Son. But the Son, again, because of the incarnation, Him appearing here on earth, if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, you will find it in Jesus. So watch. Hope that this will help you to develop a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because it's essentially the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you with the same nature as Jesus. So you will find the same abundant love of Jesus in the Holy Spirit.
went, just look at Jesus in the Gospels in the way he loved people. In the way he loved us. That same abundant love of the Spirit, right, is the love of Jesus. That's in us. That's right there to warm your heart. The same abundant tenderness of Jesus. Remember the, the raising of Jairus' daughter, the little girl? And he took the little girl by the hand tenderly and he said, Talitho kumi. He says, rise up, my little lamb. And then after she rose up, what did he say? Yeah, give her something to eat. She's hungry. <laughs> Just the, the, the tenderness of Jesus is in the spirit. The abundant compassion of Jesus. You see that compassion over and over again. The Holy Spirit, the same tender, loving compassion of Jesus. Shouldn't that bring us joy? How about, how about the same abundant kindness of Jesus? Lepers. Nobody had touched them in years. Nobody would dare to go. Imagine not being touched by another human being, not being able to get close to another human being except for other lepers. And Jesus did what, what was truly, I mean, uh, totally out of the box. He just reached out and touched the lepers. Besides his power being released into their life and then being healed, there was just, again, that they were touched by this very unique man. And that's the abundant kindness of Jesus. That is what the Spirit right, has. Here's another one. The same abundant gentleness of Jesus. Right? That same, I mean, just that, that, that abundant gentleness of, of, of the Lord. Just gentle with, with, with people. Gentle with the sinners. And then you have the same abundant, listen to this word, approachableness of Jesus. You know, little children came to Jesus. Little children do not come to some hard-nosed, stern-faced person. You ever see that? Children will not. I said, just see, see the children go into nursery. And you know what? Who do they come? They come to the people with a warm smile. They come to the people who are warm, who, who are happy. They, children, little children are incredibly discerning and they will not come to a person, right, who is, again, they're, they're, they're hard-faced. Jesus had to have this wonderful smile on his face for the children to just come to him. He was so, so approachable. The same abundant mercy as Jesus. The woman caught in adultery, right? And the law said, stone her. Jesus didn't give her what she deserved. He gave her mercy. He gave her forgiveness. Now watch. The same abundant holiness of Jesus. The Spirit instills us with that same abundant holiness, that, that holy rage against evil. Have you been feeling it this week? That holy rage that burns in our hearts against evil. And then you see the same abundant passion of Jesus. That passion for righteousness. The same abundant wisdom of Jesus. 
You can sit at his feet and he will impart wisdom to you on how to navigate the turbulent waters of this life. The same abundant teaching of Jesus. The Spirit reminds us of the things Jesus taught and he teaches us the things that Jesus taught. We can sit at his feet as people sat at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. Now that should bring joy to our lives. That we have, we have the spirit of Jesus in us right now. Right now. So here's our, our final notes, our key notes. John chapter 15, verse 11. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Just as we go through the book of Philippians, right? just remember this, it's Jesus in you that equals joy in you. You want this joy? You want this joy that transcends happenings? that transcends the happenings of your life? You want this joy that transcends your frame of mind? Want to get off the roller coaster? Right, the roller coaster of being up and down, I'm happy, I'm not. Want to get off that? Then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus in repentance. You got sin in your life? Come and, and, and confess that sin to Jesus. Whatever that sin may be. Maybe it's just right now. Maybe you're just totally apathetic towards God. That's a huge sin to be carrying in your life. Come bring your sins to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. And put your faith in him. Put your faith in him as your savior and as your Lord, as your God. And I believe he will enter into your life through the spirit. And he will, give you, he will give you that joy. You get off the roller coaster. Amen? Let's just bow our heads. We'll close in prayer. And I thank you, Father, for the book of Philippians. It has been a, trevor, a treasure, Lord, a, a treasure chest to me, many others, as we open it, Lord God, Lord, each day at different times of the year, as we come to it in times, Lord God, when we're need, just we need to be reminded of the joy of the Lord. I do pray, Lord God, this morning, right now, as you as you work in people's lives, Lord, right now, you and we give you, Lord God, all the glory. You're the one who draws people to you, Lord. We don't come to you; you come to us, and you're coming to people right now. And you're standing right at the door of their hearts. You're asking to come in and to bring your joy, to bring your life, to bring your forgiveness to them. I pray if you're one of those people right now that you would open the door to your heart. Take Jesus into your heart. Put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. Turn away from your sins and turn to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.